You know, one of the, the clearest marks of a maturing Christian is they realize they're pretty pathetic. When I first came to faith, I remember thinking, you know, Jesus is a pretty good dude. He really is God. He really did die for our sins. And I guess technically I've broken God's commandments because I'm not perfect. Pretty close, but not all the way there. But as I continue to, to grow in my faith, I realize I'm actually not a nice person. I don't think I should tell you that, but, but on the inside, you know, the parts that, that you don't necessarily let people know, the thoughts that you have when, when people irritate you, or um, the, the things you do, let's say, when, when um, someone irritates you and you have, you have a chance to kick some snow on their clean car, you know, the little things that, that we all pretend we don't do. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is a horrible, horrible, horrible chapter. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful chapter. It's a convicting chapter. And at the same time, it, it is one of the most wonderful 13 verses of all Scripture. And I guess technically, by, by the worldly standards of business models, I should blow through chapters 13 and 14 today in about 22 minutes. But I won't do that. And there's no way anyone should do that when it comes to the Lord's Word. We're in no rush. Jesus comes back before we finish this. Then, you know, he'll, he'll help us understand the rest. But as I was spending time studying in 1 Corinthians 13, I realized I, have, I can't honestly tell anyone that I love them before God. Because you know what? I don't. So in my house, I no longer will tell my wife that I love her. I say, I should love you, but I don't. I was going to be honest. That's what I have to say most of the time. When we look at this, what we're going to see is what love really is. How we're to love, and it's not a matter of trying harder as you'll come to see. And as we go through this, it's going to be very convicting and frustrating and then encouraging as you see what's going on here. So today we're going to go through three whole verses to set up verse 4 through 7 next week, which I hope to get all the way through. And as we do, you will see how incredibly awesome the Lord Jesus truly is, how incredibly horrible and wicked you really are. And when you put those together, you'll see how through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are actually able to do the impossible and love people. Let's get into this a little bit. 1 Corinthians. We're up to chapter 13. In the first chapter through chapter 4, we looked at division in the church. The errors regarding division. Chapter 5 through 6, we looked at errors regarding immorality. Chapter 7 was errors regarding marriage. We've got any issues dealing with Christian liberty. If you don't really remember any of this, I see I stretch it out so long I can just re-preach it. Go back and read it again. It'll come to you. The, the Lord's Word isn't to be read once and you're done. It's, it's living and active. Christian liberty in chapter 8 through 10. Remember the people said, there's no such thing as idols. We can eat whatever we want. And they were leading brothers and sisters astray. Chapter 11, we looked at errors regarding the Lord's table. And then we got to chapter 12 and we started looking at spiritual gifts. We saw that spiritual gifts are, are important. They're essential to the functioning of the church, and we need to not be uninformed about them. That's how Paul starts chapter 12. We looked at what they are as we looked through the, the various parts of Scripture that speak of them. We saw that they are manifestations of, of God's power entrusted to us as believers to work through us so the church can function as a body. All believers have at least one. We're able to understand what they are as we walk in the Spirit. Most people have more than one. And the Corinthians were messing them up. I mean, they were really messing them up. And in particular, when we get to chapter 14, we're going to look at how they were messing up this gift of tongues. 
but they were taking quote-unquote higher gifts and looking down on people with lower gifts. And we talked last week about the feet and the issue of stuff falling out of the trunk of camels. You guys remember that? I hope so. This week I sat down and I read through 1 Corinthians with a piece of paper next to me and I just I made a list of every time I saw a negative attribute. This is a list I got. Don't write it down. You can read it for yourself and find the same words if you want. Quarreling, jealous, strife, division, pride, boastfulness, puffed up, arrogant, sexually immoral, greedy, idolaters, revilers, drunkards, swindlers, litigious, they were suing each other, defrauding, participating with demons, and selfish. That'd be an awesome first page of a website. Come join us at the Church of God in Corinth. We are. Boom. But the reality is, if we're not careful, that's what the church becomes as we walk in the flesh. And when we walk in the flesh, we're incapable of loving, and when we don't love, we can't steward the gifts we're called to steward, and then we're not a body, and then we compensate by becoming an organization, and we have a giant mess, and a horrible world going to hell, and an ineffective witness. So, love. Love is what it's all about. Let's look at these 13 verses, and then we'll begin to unpack. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, the Lord says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So I'll throw it out to you guys. What is love? Is that a song? Corinne, Madeline, you guys would know better than me. What is love? Now don't go quoting four through seven. Well, love is patient. I get that. How would you describe, Sean, how would you describe love? Amen. How's the world define love? You see, people, when they hit a certain age, they, they start to fall in love, right? And then you, you get a little older, could be two weeks later, and you, you fall out of love. And, and people, Laura and I had a really deep theological conversation in college. I was not a believer, but I was wise. She said one day, I love Dr. Pepper. I said, well, what's the difference between me and Dr. Pepper? And she should have said, well, I love Dr. Pepper. But she didn't say that. <laughs> People, they, they love their puppy dogs, right? They love chocolate cake. They love a TV show. They, they're, they're infatuated with things because they bring an emotional feeling to them. But Sean said something different. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Anyone here willing to die for your dog? 
piece of chocolate cake or a Dr. Pepper. Jesus was willing to die for us. You see, the culture we live in, the world we live in, makes love into an emotion. Laura and I knew someone years ago, husband and wife, and they had these kids, and they would do this cockheaded, nonsensical, I love you. Every like five minutes, say to their kids, I love you. I love you. And their kids would robotically, I love you. I love you. The problem was, they didn't love their kids. How can I say that? Well, they didn't raise up their kids in the way they should go. They didn't train them up in the truth of the Lord. They didn't discipline their kids in the way the Lord would have them so they could grow in greater Christ-likeness. They were leading their kids astray. They just had an emotional attraction to their kids. I love you. You make me feel good. Right? That's not love. In Arab countries, parents don't tell their kids they love them. Well, how could you do such a thing? Well, there's actually wisdom in that. You know why? If love is an action, do you tell someone you love them or do you show them that you love them? Do you see the difference there? They don't tell them they love them. They show them they love them by how they live. Now watch this. Chew on this. Don't leave me here. A non-Christian person can't love. It is impossible for an unregenerate soul to love anyone. Anyone grow up with non-Christian parents? They didn't love you. Yeah, you strongly disagree with me, please. Yes, is that possible? Galatians 5. Galatians 5, we run into this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that in verse 22? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What was the first one I said? So, love is a what? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Who does the Spirit dwell in? Only the believer. And the believer can only love as a result of walking in the Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So when your parents told you, I love you, they lied. What happened was you had worldly love. You might say, well, my parents, they sacrificed a lot for me. Right. But what's the underlying motive? Was it to bring glory to God and make Him known so that you might love Him and serve Him? Or was there something else at play? I didn't grow up with believing parents. I wasn't walking around the house afraid they were going to kill me in my sleep. Oh, they don't love me. I wasn't afraid of them. I felt safe with them. They would provide for me. They, they would, even to this day, if I had a need, they would come and help me. But their motive is self-seeking, not God-glorifying, and that's not love. Now, I got bad news for you believers. You don't love very well either. We're going to get to that next week. But as you see more, more, more how you love so poorly, you'll see how Christ's love is so incredibly great, and then things start to change. Paul's saying to the believers at Corinth, listen, guys, the problem that you have is you don't love. Remember, a, a wise Jewish teacher came to Jesus. He said, what is the greatest of the commandments? You know what the Pharisees and Sadducees used to do? They used to pick one or two commandments that they could keep. And they try to keep them really well. Can't keep them all, right? So they say, which is the greatest of the commandments? Remember what Jesus says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you've kept these, you'll keep all the laws, right? Love. Love fulfills the law. So what does love look like? Sean, Sean told us, greater love has no one than this. What about John 3.16? What does that say? For God so... Loved the world that he hung a picture of it on his wall and looked at it and ogled it day and night. Oh, I love you. Is that right? 
For God so loved the world that he pet our cozy heads and told us we were so special to him every day and night, right? God so loved the world that he gave us lots and lots of gifts so we'd feel happy and love him too. No, he sent his son to die, right? Jesus, in John 13, 34, tells us we're to love as he loved. How did he love? Selfishly and sacrificially. Mm, I like the cozy worldly love. It's a whole lot easier. When I like you, I love you, you offend me, we fall out of love. Isn't that so much better? Jesus loved that way, we'd have trouble. John 15, 9 through 10. This one is ugly. John 15, 9 through 10. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Loving is abiding in the commandments of Christ. 2 John says the same thing. 2 John 6. This is love, that we walk in his commandments. So you understand when... When we look at what the world calls love, it's not love. It is a fleshly, sin-based, self-seeking, self-gratifying emotion. But biblical love, true love, is, I like this definition, it is a determination that you make in your mind that this is right and this is what I will do. Love is ugly and messy and dangerous and difficult and painful and will ruin all of your plans for life. But that's love. But love is greater. Love is the most excellent way. That's where we're going here. Now, in verses 4 through 7, love is patient and kind, doesn't envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You go and try to do that, and guess what's going to happen? It ain't going to work. But there is someone who did all of that, and his name is our Lord Jesus. And when you see what he did, and then go ahead and look in Romans 5, and look at who dwells in us, what was poured out upon us, and you and I as regenerate souls have the ability to do this, to actually love. And when a world looks at us as a body of believers ministering the spiritual gifts entrusted to us, and we love, that's a miracle. How, how, how do you do that? Well, let me tell you how I did it, because this doesn't come natural. You see, I was a horrible, dirty, rotten, self-seeking, self-glorifying, self-gratifying fool. But then God knocked me upside the head, opened my eyes to the truth. And he brought me to newness of life. He indwells me. I don't love you by personal choice. I love you by the power of God that dwells in me. And I love you because God first loved me. See where we're going here? So when we go out into the world and we're like, oh, I love you. Oh, stop. Let the world look at us and see the inconvenient, sacrificial kind of love God calls us to. It is, I love this definition, so I'm going to read it again. A determination that you make in your mind that this is right and this is what you will do. Here is truth. I will walk in truth because I am a follower of Christ. In his strength, for his glory, I will do this. That's a conviction that every believer should make. So next week, we're going to look at the specifics of love. But this week, we're going to see why love needs to be preeminent. What's the big deal? What's the big deal if we don't love? Anyone here forgiven by Christ? I hope at least someone's hand goes up. Anyone here a follower of Christ forgiven by his shed blood? Amen? Yes? So what does this really matter? Can't we just kind of coast to the end? Well, you, you could, I guess, because we're saved by grace through faith. But one might ask, if you're truly saved, if you're not doing the works, 
here's the big deal. I'll frighten you a little bit and then I'll encourage you a little bit because I had to go through it all this week. It's been a rough week. God's word will do that to you. Kick you, drag you down, stomp on you, but then it always builds you back up. He's shaking the, the junk out. Sin affects us spiritually and physically. You ever think about the physical effects of sin? Medical science would not disagree with this. If you, if you lead a sinful lifestyle, it tends to have negative impact upon your body. But we didn't need modern science to tell us this. Go ahead and flip over to Psalm 32. David had some issues with sin. You remember good old David? He uh, should have put higher walls on his house. Well, David was, you know, he was having some troubles with, with voyeurism, with census issues. And Psalm 32, look at this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now hang on there a minute. As we go through 4 and 7, pay attention to this psalm. You'll see all of those attributes start showing up. But verse 3, For when I kept silent, when he wasn't confessing his sin, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up and by the heat of summer, as by the heat of summer. Sin will physically and spiritually harm you. 1 Corinthians 11. What was going on with some of the believers who were walking in sin? This is why some of you have become ill and some of you have even died. Doesn't Paul say that there? Go ahead and check that one out. Don't take sin lightly because physically it will have effects on you. Now, the Lord desires that his people have joy and abundant life. And God doesn't promise us health and wealth in this life. He promises it in the next. But it is actually the Lord's normative will to bless and prosper his people for his glory. Not in a worldly sense of prospering. But there are times where our sin causes us physical suffering, even worse, spiritual suffering. Sin and unconfessed sin insulates us from God. It causes our relationship with God to, to, be, to be distanced or, or, or not as wonderful as it should be. Pardon, get that brain back in gear here. It negatively impacts our relationship with God. And it has a corporate effect. My sin will affect you. As a body of believers, if one part suffers, all suffer. If I want to go and walk in sin, you all have to get dragged down a little bit with me. Unless, of course, we don't want to function as a body. Unless, of course, we don't want the joy the Lord has for us. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you all guys, come on, I love you so much that I have to confront you with your sin in love and tell you you're a mess. Some of you are sick. You've got people who have died because of this. You're not walking as a body. You've become just like the world. Let's knock it off and quit bickering about these spiritual gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. You remember that, 1231? And what's that more excellent way? It's love. God wants his children, who are Christians, to be happy. He does. He wants us to have joy. But for us to do that, we need to walk in love. There's a, I remember as a teenager, there was a skit on TV. It said, God is love and love is blind. God must be Ray Charles. What, what a horrible thing to say and what a distortion, but very worldly. It was like a Saturday Night Live thing. But God is love. Isn't that true? And we as the body of Christ are to represent God in this world. So what, what should we be showing the world? How should we be living? You know, they shouldn't be able to joke about our Lord such a way. They say, God is love, and these people are doing something crazy. It almost looks like they've been with God, and God is with them. Ah, now we're on to something. So there's a big deal. It affects us 
all of us. It defames, drags God's name through the mud. Throughout the New Testament, I'll just quote a couple things here. Don't write them down unless you want to try to go fast. Believers are always called to be a loving people. Colossians 3.14, put on love. 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love. Philippians 1.9, abound in love. Hebrews 13.1, continue in love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, increase and abound in love. 1 Peter 4.8, keep loving one another. It's a big deal. Love is a big deal. Now, to the text. Should have been there a while ago, right? Look at uh, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want to make a side comment on this verse because it's important. People have taken this verse out of context. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and some people will say, well, you know, I have this ability to speak in angelic languages. You don't want to know what's wrong with that? It's not what Paul is saying here. In no other verse of Scripture will you see a reference to speaking in angelic tongues. Paul is speaking in hyperbole. That is a pastoral trick. Big word. Most of you probably don't know what it means, so we'll move on. Hyperbole. I had to learn it for SATs. So many times it won't leave my mind, so stick it in your head. It means exaggeration. Don't ever pronounce it hyperbole. People will laugh at you, and then you don't look very smart. But this is all hyperbole that we're looking at in the first three verses. Exaggeration. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men, the word tongues comes from glossa in Greek. It is a normative Greek word for languages. We will spend a lot of time with tongues in chapter 14, but it always in scripture means dialect, language. Okay? Then he says, let me take this to an extreme. If I could speak in all languages, if I could even speak in angelic languages, but what language do angels speak? When, when angels show up and speak to people, what language do they speak? Something that, you can understand. Something that you can understand. Angels, are they physical beings? Spiritual beings. What are they lacking? Vocal cords. What the heck do they sound like? I don't know. Paul's point isn't to tell us what angels sound like when they come before God. They could have little receptors. I don't know. But that's not the point. Paul is speaking in exaggeration. So... This verse is often taken to refer to speaking in unintelligible utterances or angelic tongues. We're going to spend time in this in 14, in 14 because, because you'll see how central is to what's going on in Corinth. But Paul's point is by way of exaggeration. If I speak in every human language, even if I speak in angelic language, and I do it all without love, I'm nothing. I'm a, I'm a noisy, clanging gong or cymbal. You want an interesting side note? Say, Yeah! You want an interesting side note? Yeah. Thank you. At this time in Corinth, there were two false gods, Sybil and Dionysus. This is really phenomenally interesting. Sybil and Dionysus were worshipped in a pagan ritual where people would speak in ecstatic utterances of false language. And at the same time, people would come, and let me get this accurate for, here, for you here. They would clang cymbals, smash gongs, and blare trumpets. So when Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, hey guys, you know what? If I do this, I might as well hang out with the folks worshiping Dionysus and Sybil. It's just pagan worship you're bringing to practice. You need love. Or knock it off. You see that? Verse 2. 
He says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. You see the exaggeration here? In particular, if I have all knowledge. What's all knowledge? How much of it? All of it? How many sands? What do you, what do you call a piece of sand? How about a piece of sand? How many pieces of sand are on all the seas in the, in the world? God knows that, right? All knowledge? You think Paul knew that? How many hairs on your head? Well, for me, it's easy, but someone like Patty, it's harder. Do you think Paul knows that? He's talking by way of exaggeration. If I have all prophetic powers, if I know all mysteries, if I, know, if I have all knowledge, I got all this without love, it's for nothing. I'll show you something scary, too. Matthew 7, I think it is. We're going, going off out of order. So if it's not there, then we'll see whatever's there and we'll go with that. Matthew 7, 21. The Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, what does he declare to them? Why does he declare that? They're speaking truth about him. They're casting out demons in his name. Why does he say, get away from me? Guess what they didn't have? Love. You see, in pastoral circles... They're very small little circles, actually. Pastors hang out in the middle of the week. The dangers we run is I can water down the truth to try to like you or make you like me better. Or I can beat you over the head with the truth and not give a lick about you. You know, that, that's the easy pastoral bend for a good, solid Bible teacher. Look at how bad you are. Huh, you're probably going to hell. Hmm, let me unpack some more and hit you with it. Oh, what'd you do this week, Renee? How can we pray for you and your sin, right? I can beat people over the head with truth, but if I have not love, well, I'm going to be that guy in Matthew 7. Jesus, I preached a whole lot of sermons for you. Mm-hmm. I haven't dunked people in water for you. Mm-hmm. You say, you didn't love anybody, did you? Oh, was that important? Oh, of utmost. We do it too. You ever uh, not share the gospel with somebody? What causes that motivation? You don't love them. You ever do this where you share the gospel without love? Listen, can I share the gospel with you? You're going to hell. <laughs> um, oh, 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 I forgot this part. But Jesus loves you. You probably won't accept this, but he died for you. And, okay, so you're going to hell. I did it. You, ever do, you don't go to that extreme, but you know, you're sharing the gospel. Someone is not responsive. You're like, well, good, you're going to hell. Right? That's not love. We, we all have this tension where we don't love well. Love is important. All right, get back. My Bible's flapping everywhere. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's talking about literally if he gave everything he had away. Paul gave a lot of what he had away, right? Time, talent, and treasure. This dude was a tent maker. He was getting stone traveling all the time. I don't know when Paul took any vacations in the book of Acts. Cruises, not vacations. And what's he talking about burning his body? Well, he's talking about martyrdom. You want to know something interesting? Yeah, sure I do, right? You want to know something interesting? Yeah. I love history. History is always fun to read. But watch this. At this time, in this place, not only did they have this clanging, gong, ecstatic worship, there was a place called the Indian's Tomb. You know what the Indian's Tomb was? No, tell us. You want to know what the Indian's Tomb was? Yeah, tell us. Oh, I'll be happy to. There was a man from India, the country of India, 
who burns himself alive as an act of worship to his false god, right here. And what they did was they put a plaque, and the plaque read, Zormano Shegas, an Indian from Bargosa, according to the traditional custom of the Indians, made himself immortal as he lies here. Well, Zarmano Shegas is immortal in a sense. His soul goes on, but it's not dwelling with the Lord Jesus Christ. But people can martyr themselves for a lie and not do it in love. People can give away all they have with selfish motives and not do it in love. And if it's not in love, it is pointless. That's all I got for you today. I'm not kidding. That's all I got for you today. But the reason we're stopping there is because I want you to understand three things from this. The importance of love. It's a big deal not to love one another. It's not about convenience. It's not about you liking me. Listen, if you just want to like somebody, I'm the wrong guy. Laura can attest to that. I drive you crazy at some point. You know, just an hour or so a week, you can kind of get by. But once you know me all said and done, there are little irritants that I have to bring to bear to the equation. You guys don't have those, I know. Love is a commitment. Love is essential. Love is important. Love is imperative if we're going to do anything with lasting value. It is a commitment, not a feeling. It is putting the Lord and His will first, putting your agenda not just to the side, but full on in the trash. Understand what love is. Talked about that today. God is love, right? And we see that in the Lord Jesus exemplified. We're going to spend a lot of time with this love next week. And I encourage you, spend some time in verses 4 through 7 looking at it. And understand this, that we love as we walk in the Spirit. So here's what I want to give you. Next week, we're going to spend a good deal of time going through these 15 characteristics of love. Maybe we'll get through them all. I don't know. But we're going to look. We're going to see, what does it mean that love is patient? And you'll see that, I'll speak for myself, I'm not patient. Patience is the ability to be wronged again and again and again and again and again and not desire to retaliate. That does not exemplify my life. I might be good to be wronged, but don't do it again because I don't love you. But our Lord Jesus had patience. He was wronged and he was wronged and he was wronged and he was wronged and he did not seek to retaliate. Did he? You see that in people who are maturing in their faith. And my friends, you and I, Romans 5, you and I as believers are called to and have the ability to be patient because the Lord was so patient with us. Is it hard? It's impossible to do on your own. But I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's where we're going to go next week as we dig into this. But to set the stage for that, I want you to understand The world presents to us a cheap imitation called love. The Lord exemplifies by how he lived, by all he does, by his very nature, what love is. And as children of God, we're called to represent our father because we are like our father being born anew in our father. Do you see that? If my human father walked in the door, you see what I'm going to look like in 30 some odd years. It freaks me out. You would notice we have certain personality similarities. That freaks me out too. 
But I spent a lot of time with a man growing up, and I'm a lot like him today because we spent so much time, and I'm genetically similar to him because I was born from him. Well, in a greater way, as we were born anew in Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we should look a whole lot like our daddy, and our daddy is love. And our daddy indwells us in the Holy Spirit. I should rephrase that. God indwells us in the Holy Spirit and gives us the ability to love. So spend some time this week looking at 4 through 7. Use those cross-references in your, in your Bible. See where, where the Lord speaks of it throughout Scripture. And prepare yourself so we can come before the Lord. Ask Him to convict us of areas of sin where we're not loving. To empower us so that we might do so. And that he might grow us into a body of believers that the world around looks at and says, what is going on there? And that he might give them a desire to come to know him for who he truly is. Understand the importance of love. Understand what it is. And may we all seek to love by walking in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you. I pray your forgiveness for the fact that that I do not love well. I'm a selfish person. I have personal agendas. And when they are not pushed, I don't always respond in kindness, at least on the inside. Holy Spirit, help me to not just by outward action, but by inward desires, seek to do everything in love. Help the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, I pray that as we continue through your word, that we would be challenged and encouraged, motivated, equipped, and more importantly, transformed. I pray that you would continue to grow us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the fact that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. I pray you will grow us into a body of believers who faithfully ministers with the gifts you've entrusted to us for the common good as you call us and who does it all in love, not seeking selfish motivation in it, but to bring glory to you and to love one another. We thank you that we're able to know what love is because you first loved us, and we thank you that we are able to love because you first loved us. Lord Jesus, help us to live the lives you've called us to. Holy Spirit, help us to trust in you and walk in your power so we might be the people that you made us to be for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.